Well, a bunch of NBA Zags got together for dinner in Las Vegas a few nights ago, and Chet Holmgren commented he wished that this was his squad rolling into his first NBA season. So today's episode is an exploration of what that might look like. Would a team of NBA Zags be a playoff team? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How might this team look different a year or two from now? All of that and more right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. It is very appreciated as we are in the midst of the college basketball offseason, although we got plenty of pro Zags to talk about, which is what I want to talk about today. For those of you who are not on social media or on Twitter in particular, a spokesman review writer Theo Lawson shared a tweet where Chet Holmgren told a story about Gonzaga's dinner group. So if you missed this story, Roger Powell, the assistant coach for Gonzaga, shared a photo of basically every Zag in the NBA. I believe the only NBA Zag who was not there was Brandon Clark. There was also a couple other non-NBA Zags. Jeremy Jones and Rem Bacamus were there. Uh, this is a dinner that they do every year in Las Vegas for the group of Zags who are playing in the NBA. Uh, it's obviously getting bigger and bigger, which is kind of the fun part. It was a, a huge group of guys. Uh, Chet told a story about how when he was leaving, somebody asked him if they were one of the teams that were down there playing in the summer league. And, you know, Chet told them no, but was telling Theo that like, yeah, I, I wish this was my squad. We'd be really, really good. So I thought, hey, it might be kind of fun to, to take a look at that. So... We've, we've had discussions on Mailbag Monday episodes previously about what would a team of NBA Zags look like in the NBA. So this is going to be a little bit more in-depth into that conversation, although it's got its tweaks because we are going to go off of who was actually at this dinner as opposed to the just straight-up Zags in the NBA. So again, that means no Brandon Clark, which is a bummer. He would be a very nice player to have on this team. Uh, it means we're adding Jeremy Jones and Rembakamis into the mix. Uh, Andrew Nemhard was not in the initial photo posted by Roger Powell, but on social media, I believe it was DeMontis Sabonis' story or maybe Rui Hachimura's story or maybe both of their stories. Uh, it's clear that Andrew Nemhard did show up later. I think he had still been playing for Indiana when the actual dinner happened. Uh, so we're going to count him. Otherwise, we would have some very serious issues at the point guard position. So segment one, we're going to take a look at the starters. Segment two, we're taking a look at the rest of the players, how the minutes might shake out. Segment three, we're discussing how would this team do if they were playing a full 82-game schedule and what the roster might look like in future years. So we'll start with the starting lineup. And frankly, it's a pretty darn good starting lineup. There's only one player in this starting lineup, the, the way that I constructed it anyway. There's only one player in the starting lineup who has never started an NBA game. And that's Chet Holmgren. So not sure that that counts. It does count. He has not started a game, but obviously he will uh, quite likely start many, many, many games in the NBA throughout his career. He is going to be the starting center on this roster. The front court is ridiculously loaded. We'll, of course, talk more about that in the final two segments. But Chet, rookie, youngest player on the team, but 
you got to start him. His ability to impact the game both offensively and defensively is tremendous. We've been seeing glimpses of that in the summer league. We saw it all last year. Uh, we have yet to see him play an actual counting NBA game, but I suspect that we're going to see him make a significant impact in the league right away. He's just so talented, so long, so athletic, just has the ability to impact the game so many different ways. Starting at power forward next to him would, of course, be two-time NBA All-Star DeMontis Sabonis, the second greatest NBA zag of all time. To date, of course, that could change, but Sabonis has has done some pretty darn good work since being in the league again. Twice an All-Star for Indiana. He's now in Sacramento. He's one of the best, one of the 30 or 40 at worst best players in the NBA. He's not great on the defensive end of the floor, but offensively, he's a great low post scorer. He's developed as a mid-range scorer, and he's an excellent facilitator. He's a great passer. He's got really good instincts with the basketball. Really, really fun guy to watch. And him and Chet in the front court together would be very dynamic. Chet helps mitigate Sabonis's weaknesses offensively, or excuse me, defensively, where Sabonis has the ability to let Chet play under the rim, but also can go down under the rim and let Chet play away from the rim as well. I think that would be a Really, really fun pairing to see those two guys playing together. Uh, Next up, Rui Hachimura starting at the small forward position. So again, we said that everybody on this roster has started games before. Rui obviously started each of his first two seasons in the NBA. Last year was his first year coming off the bench. That happened in part because he missed the first part of the season with some mental health issues. He's playing a little bit out of position. Rui has pretty definitively been a small ball four up to this point in his NBA career. He played more of a small forward position at Gonzaga because they had so many big men, but he's this is a little bit out of position for him. I think defensively is where this would be an issue. He's not a great defensive player on either end, whether he's playing in the post or playing on the wing, but I think he's probably more of a liability out on the wing. He has improved in this area. He's improved as a, as a defensive player. He's improved as a passer. He was a bit more of a black hole early in his career, but we have seen him make some improvements in those two areas. I think this is a spot where, yeah, he's playing a little bit out of position, but when you look at the players around him, I think he's capable of playing the spot for the Zags. Next up is the starting shooting guard. This is was a tough call because he's playing. He's definitely playing out of position, but I felt like we had to go with Corey Kispert here. Uh, Corey started games last year at the two. That is where Washington listed him when Bradley Beal was down with an injury in the second half of the year. Corey Kispert was listed as the starting shooting guard. Now, Washington did some pretty weird stuff with their lineups for the most part last year, and and Corey was playing out of position, and Rui was playing out of position, and they didn't really have any legitimate ball handlers on the roster. They were kind of short on on just guards in general, so it was a bit of a, a weird situation, but... Yeah, Corey's probably best suited as a three or, or honestly even a small ball four in the NBA. He's a solid 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he can stretch the floor defensively but he's or offensively, but he's not great defensively. He's better than I think some people give him credit for, but making him guard opposing NBA twos is probably going to be a problem, something that we'll address a little bit more in the third and final segment of the show. Uh, but again, we're talking about a guy who has started games in the NBA and he has started games at the shooting guard position. He's an outside shooter. He's great at moving without the basketball. He's smart when he has the basketball in his hands, more than capable of being a longtime NBA starter, which is, is the position we'd ask him to play here. And then, of course, your starting point guard, no surprise here. That would be Orlando Magic point guard Jalen Suggs. Suggs is coming off a relatively tough rookie year. Uh, we talked about it quite a bit in the episode I had uh, last week with Mark Schindler on the show. We talked about Suggs' struggles, really finding the shot, the injury that he had in the middle of the year to his thumb, which 
kind of hampered him even after he came back. Orlando asking him to do things that were a little bit out of his depth. We also talked about the fact that he's 20 years old, and even at 20 years old, he was one of the best defensive point guards in the entire league. He Pick-and-roll defense was phenomenal. He's still got a few things to work on there, but his his overall defensive skill set is, is wide-ranging already. He's got the skills to potentially be a, an all-defensive caliber player in time. He's not quite there yet, but he's already very good defensively. And that's really rare for 20-year-old kids. That is very, very rare. So for him to be at that spot uh, puts the Zags in a much better spot because defensively this lineup outside of Chet and Jalen is a little bit, it's not the best. That's probably one of the bigger areas of weakness. Again, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Suggs, if he starts to find that shot, which I know that he will, and he starts to get a little bit more creative with how he attacks the rim and and can maybe play a little bit off the ball a bit, I think he's going to be a very, very good NBA player. And you're more than happy having him be in your starting point guard. Uh, for the short term and for the long term. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk about the other eight players that would be on this roster outside of the starting five and what the minutes per game might look like. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, rockauto.com. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all the parts I need makes things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in there, how did you hear about us box, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, segment two. Still any patents, still locked on Zags. And which NFL stars move the betting lines the most? Starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got starting five covered in segment one. We're going to take a look at what the other eight players on this hypothetical roster would be, of course, talking about the photograph posted by Roger Powell on Twitter of all of the Zags getting together for a dinner in Las Vegas during the Summer League. We talked about the starting five, Chet Holmgren, DeMontis Sabonis, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert, and Jalen Suggs, made up of all NBA starters outside of Chet, who, of course, will be an NBA starter. Uh, Now we're going to take a look at the bench. Uh, I just put them in order of who I think would play the most. I put a rough estimate for minutes per game on the side. But again, there's going to be some some finagling to get everybody to play in their appropriate positions as Gonzaga has been very, very weighted towards putting big men in the NBA, not so much the guards. We'll start with the sixth man on this roster, which would, of course, be longtime NBA sixth man Kelly Olynyk. Olynyk is the veteran guy of the group. He's been in the league for multiple years longer than anybody else. I think Sabonis is the second oldest, and he was 
three years after Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, at least two years after Kelly. Uh, I put that Kelly would probably play 22, 25 minutes per night. Obviously, he could play the four or the five. Uh, He's been doing this for a really long time. He's a great outside shooter. He's an adequate defensive player, good decision maker. Uh, If health permits, he's he's a guy who's been putting up 10 and five for basically every season of his career since 2013. Uh, So a really, really fantastic guy to have on your bench. And joining him on Gonzaga's front court bench would be Zach Collins. Uh, obviously, health has been a huge issue for Zach Collins throughout his NBA career. Uh, he can play the four. He can play the five as well. I have him down for about 18 to 20 minutes per night. Again, we're assuming health for everybody, but if your front court is Chet Holmgren and DeMontis Sabonis starting, Kelly Olynyk and Zach Collins as your backups, that's pretty dang good. Like, that's two legitimate NBA starters. One of them is an all-star. One of them very, very well could be an all-star. Probably not, maybe not right away as a rookie. That's a that's a bold thing to claim. But he's going to be darn good as a rookie, and he's going to be an all-star in in short amount of time. Your backup is Kelly Olenek, who, again, has been a backup center or even a starting center for the majority of the last 10 years. And then your fourth string big man is Zach Collins, a guy who, when healthy, has been a very adequate third or fourth big man. He was a starting power forward for the Blazers before he got, he suffered an injury ahead of the COVID season. So I think that's a fantastic front court, frankly. Now the Zags have multiple other guys who could also play in the front court on this roster. But I think if this were a legitimate team, those four guys would soak up the majority of the minutes at the center and power forward position. Eighth man on this lineup is Andrew Nemhard, of course, the other rookie on the team alongside Chet Holmgren. I listed Nemhard at playing roughly 18 minutes per night. I think you'd have to have a lot of lineups where Nemhard is playing the point guard and Suggs is shifting up to the two because there's not a lot of wing depth on this team. It's just not an area that the Zags have put multiple players into the NBA. So you're going to have to run two guard lineups. Nemhard's playing the one. You'll have Suggs playing the two. But I think you can get 20 good minutes out of Andrew Nemhard as the backup point guard. That's not outside the realm of possibilities for him in real life with Indiana. I think the Pacers are probably going to go into the season with TJ McConnell playing the majority of the minutes at the at the one position. They have a couple other guys who could slide over there. Tyrese Halliburton's more of a two, but they might play him at the one, uh, depending what they want to do with Duarte or Ben Matherin. But Nemhard's very, very good. I think he, he's doing a good job in the summer league up to this point. I think he's going to carve out a, a legitimate role for the Pacers in year one. And I think if you'd asked him to play 15 to 20 minutes per night as a backup point guard, would it be ideal? Eh, maybe not if you were a, a playoff team legitimately trying to win, but you could do a lot worse than Andrew Nemhard giving you 20 minutes off the bench. After that, you got Killian Tilly. I put Killian Tilly down for about 10 minutes per night. Again, the main issue with with Tilly is just that there's already really good players in front of him. He's the fifth big in this lineup. I think the big question mark, a lot of how this team would actually do outside of a hypothetical and actual practice would be whether somebody like Killian Tilly can play legitimate minutes at the three. That's an area that there's not a lot of depth outside of Corey Kispert, outside of Rui Hachimura, who are both in the starting lineup. You'd kind of have to figure out who else can play that three spot. Killian Tilly's a legitimate NBA player. He's just outside the rotation in Memphis for the majority of the year. But when there was injuries or COVID situations and he ended up stepping into a role, he, he played very, very well. I think he's proven without a shadow of a doubt that he deserves to be a consistent NBA player. The Grizzlies signed him to a two-year guaranteed contract. They wouldn't have done that if they didn't think he was going to be able to contribute for them uh, for the long haul. So 
I think he's a guy who absolutely like if Killian Tilly's your ninth man, I think that's pretty good. Like he's just just outside of being Memphis's ninth man. He's probably their tenth or eleventh guy. I haven't looked at their updated roster recently, but he's right around that. And Memphis was one of the best teams in the league last year. So so I don't think having having him be in that role uh, is I think that's a pretty darn good spot for him to be, quite frankly. Next up, number ten. On the list, Joel Ayayi. Of course, Joel uh, played a little bit in the NBA last year. I think he played in seven games, but only played about 20 minutes total, mostly in garbage time. He, of course, went surprisingly undrafted uh, in the 2021 NBA draft, signed with the Lakers, had a pretty poor performance in the summer league, ended up catching on with Washington, was very good in the G League, averaged like 11, 6, and 6. So the kind of numbers you expect from Joel, he does a little bit of everything. Uh, he's, again, a guy who's right on the cusp of being an NBA player. I, I, I worry that his summer league performance this year hasn't been good enough for him to secure a two-way contract or even a guaranteed NBA contract. I think he might end up bouncing around again a little bit. But I think if you were to ask Joel to give you seven to ten minutes off the bench per night, he would be capable of doing it. He's a bit undersized to play the three. You kind of have to play him at the at the two-guard spot. Again, you could maybe do some lineups that look like that 2020 squad where you have Suggs, Nembhard, and Joel all in the game at the same time. But trying to get away with that in the NBA is pretty tough. The guys are so big and so physical that I think even while that lineup would be able to get up and down the clo- the the floor pretty fast and would be able to do some fun things in transition, I think they would get beat up pretty darn badly on the defensive end of the floor. And I think Joel kind of is relegated to playing just backup, backup shooting guard minutes and not really uh, capable of doing three guard lineups with him. Last couple of guys, Philip Petrusev, uh, again, obviously a guy who would get more minutes on a team that didn't have so many good front court players in front of him. Petrusev is also participating in the summer league with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, after he left Gonzaga, he went and won himself an MVP in Serbia in the uh, with Mega BMAX, 24 points per game, shot 42% from three. Drafted by the 76ers, they kicked him back to Europe. He spent a year in Turkey. Now he's back trying to make the team again this year. We'll see if he's able to do it. He hasn't played a ton of minutes through Philadelphia's first couple of summer league games, which is not a great sign for his future. I think he is a capable NBA player, but he has similar issues that Drew Timmy will run into. Uh, Timmy's a more skilled scorer in the paint, certainly, uh, but neither of them have displayed great outside shooting. Uh, Petrusev, again, was a great three-point shooter during his one season in Serbia, which is part of what got him drafted by Philadelphia in the first place. But he hasn't displayed that since then. He didn't really display it at Gonzaga. The NBA is all about being able to stretch the floor. It doesn't matter how good he is as a low post score, because again, Drew Timmy's great, and he hasn't gotten himself a job in the NBA just yet. So Petrusev's going to have to display more than just good footwork in the paint. Uh, he's going to have to show that he's got that outside shooting ability. He hasn't done so just yet. But I think, again, if he were on this roster as the 10th or 11th guy, more than he, more than happy to give him a few minutes per night. The last two guys are your two non-NBA guys, Jeremy Jones and Rem Bacchimus. Uh Jeremy, it would be in an interesting situation were this a real roster because he he's kind of capable of giving you minutes at the three. He's... He plays that position more than most of the other guys play that position on this team, but he's not an NBA caliber 
performer. Like he's not good enough to play in the NBA. No disrespect to him. He's a very, very good basketball player, but you have to be really, really good to play in the NBA. Again, I think if you were to ask him to play in two minute spurts, you know, he's not going to kill you. It's not going to be like horrifically embarrassing. He's, he can hold his own, but again, you couldn't really ask him to play like 15 minutes as the backup small forward uh, and expect that that would go well enough for you to be a competitive basketball team. It just, he's just not quite at that level. And then there's Rem. Of course, we love Rem to death. Everybody loves Rem, uh, but he would not be playing on this team. He he did not play at Gonzaga. He's a coach. He's going to be a future head coach uh, at the college level. I believe that. He's working very hard to get towards that. Uh, and it's very cool that he was invited to this and very cool that he was able to go and see many of his old teammates and friends. Uh, but yeah, he you know, the 13th man, the 13th man on an NBA roster doesn't play very much. And that would be the situation here for Rem. All right, we're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to keep this up. We're going to take a look at this team as a whole, what it would look like on the basketball court, what a full 82-game season might look like, and, of course, what the future might hold for this particular roster as it changes year to year. But before we get there, let's talk about Built Bar. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given Coconut Brownie Chunk the puffs treatment. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. They're good for you too. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut Brownie Chunk Puffs are only here for a limited time, so go to Built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com to order your box of Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Puffs right now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment three, still Eddie Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still having fun here on Wednesday, middle of July, talking about the Zags that gathered together for a dinner in Las Vegas to celebrate the professional Zags, to celebrate the new guys who were in the Summer League. A very fun event included basically every Gonzaga player in the NBA outside of Brandon Clark included a few other guys as well. We put them together, 13-team roster, talked about the starters and the backups, segment one and segment two. Now we're going to talk about what this would look like. Now, obviously there are caveats. You don't know full health for a full 82-game season, et cetera, et cetera, but let's just assume we're playing NBA Live or NBA 2K and we turned injuries off and we're just letting these dudes roll it out for a full 82-game season. We're just simming the year to look at how things finish out. So as I mentioned in the first segment, the nice thing about this team is that your starting lineup, like that's the most important part, the five guys who almost certainly are going to play the most minutes All of them outside of Chet have NBA starting experience, not just NBA experience. They have started games in the NBA. And Chet, I mean, we can count Chet. I I know that he hasn't, but like he's the second overall pick in the NBA draft. He's going to take a starting job right away for Oklahoma City. He is ready to be an NBA starter. All five of the starters on this roster are legitimate NBA starting caliber players. In fact, most of them are above average. Basically, all of them are above average. Rui and Corey are probably average-ish. NBA players, that's perhaps a a fascinating conversation for another 
off-season topic to kind of figure out what is an average NBA player and kind of where do you fall on that. But DeMontis Sabonis very clearly is above that. Jalen Suggs did not play like that last year, but I think his potential in his future indicates a guy who is going to be above average in the NBA. Chet Holmgren has not played yet, but is probably going to be at least an above average NBA player, even in year one. Beyond that, I think he has the potential to be much, much better than an average NBA player. So I think that's the most important thing to look at is the five guys who are going to give you 28 to 30 plus minutes per night have all done this before. We're all easily capable of doing this. Your front court your, your, your overall front court, but definitely your starting front court, you could make a legitimate argument that they're top 15 in the league. You could maybe make an argument that that's a top 10 front court in the league. That's putting a lot of pressure on Chet to perform right away. Uh, if he plays as well as he can as a rookie, if he like goes out and averages what he averaged in the summer league, which was about, or what he's averaging currently in the summer league, which is about 15 and nine. If he were to go out and do that over a full season, shoot 50% from the field, shoot around 40% from three. If he can do that and Sabonis can play like DeMontis Sabonis can play, which we've seen for many, many years, that's probably a top 10 front court in the NBA, especially when you consider that your backups are Kelly Olenek and Zach Collins. Again, health permitting, that's incredible. That's a fantastic front court. I think if you were to look at playoff caliber teams in the NBA and you were to look at their front courts and you were to include this group in there, they would be right there with them. You know, they're not going to be the top tier group. Some of them are absolutely ridiculously elite, but they're going to be they're going to be right in that conversation. Obviously, Sabonis is an all-star. Chet is is phenomenal. So I think you have to consider that this front court is going to help carry this team and help make them pretty darn good. After that, though, things get a little bit dicey. We talked about how Rui and Corey are both playing out of position. Rui at the three is not egregious. Corey at the two, neither of them are egregiously out of position. But it's it would be rough for those two guys to have to play those roles for the entirety of an 82-game season. The rougher part beyond that is that the depth at the three and the two, or yeah, the three and the two is is bad. It's not good at all. I'm not sure exactly what the depth looks like beyond those two guys. Would you have, I think you'd have to have Joel play some minutes at the three, which he's a borderline NBA player right now. And I'm not sure that he's an NBA three. I just think that he would get victimized too much on the defensive end of the floor. I think, yeah, he's got this great ability to move without the ball, cut to the rim. I think that that gets mitigated if he's going up against guys who are significantly bigger and longer than him. It makes it a little bit more of a challenge for him to get those looks. I'm just not sure that he's if he's giving you 15 minutes per game as a backup three, that that's really helping you out all that much. Maybe Killian Tilly slides down and plays the three. Uh, from an offensive perspective, I think he's more than capable of playing with three. He's a dead-eye outside shooter. He moves well with the basketball defensively. He's not going to be great, but I think he's capable of playing playing the three defensively, at least in spurts. I think if you were to play you know, 25 minutes per game at the three, he would the opposing uh, offensive players would have pretty good games. I'm not sure that that would work all that well just because that's not really his strength. He's actually more of a shot blocker, more of an interior defensive player, but that's just not something Gonzaga would need on this actual roster. That, to me, is the biggest weakness on this team. Depth at the wing, depth at the two and the three, it's just not there. They just don't have it. Jeremy Jones is would be an option to play there. And, and frankly, again, with no disrespect to Jeremy Jones, if he were playing big minutes— 
the the team's ability to be like a playoff caliber team or even a 500 team is, is would wane a little bit. He, he's just not going to be able to give you those kind of minutes. So it's a bummer Brandon Clark wasn't there. Again, he doesn't really play the three either, but I think his just athleticism and his ability to, to impact the game on both ends of the floor, you could sneak him in there and probably get away with it at times. And then, of course, you have Jalen Suggs that you're starting one. Uh, elite defensive player would need to take the leap offensively. You know, if, if you have your starting point guard doesn't hit outside shots and you have this limited depth on the wing, it's going to cause some problems. As much as the, the front court is supremely talented, I'm not sure that you can kind of mitigate that unless Suggs really pops off. Obviously, having Andrew Nemhard as your backup point guard is fantastic. Uh, the other great thing is that Nemhard could play the one and Suggs could slide over and play the two. I think if you were the coach of this team, you would want to run that lineup a lot because you wouldn't have a whole lot of other options. I think you play a lot of Nemhart at the one, a lot of Suggs at the two, one of Corey and Rui playing the three and the other one taking a break. I think that's kind of the best way to do it. I think looking more and more at this roster, I think Nemhart's probably playing like 30 minutes a night. Like that might be the best way to actually make this work is to just give him a ton of minutes. Suggs plays the majority of his time at the two. And you can kind of balance out some of those issues there. Now, Nemhart's probably not going to be an elite defensive player in the NBA, but he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be able to handle defensive duties at the at the next level adequately. Uh, so I, I think overall you're, you're looking at a lineup that's going to be pretty good. I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I don't think that they're going to be... The problem, though, with that depth is just... It's enough that I, I don't think that we're talking about a, four, a 500 team. Uh, I, my prediction was that they'd win 32 to 35, maybe, games at the next level. That's kind of assuming, obviously, again, health. It's also assuming everybody's like at their peak performance level. If anybody slips, if anybody you know doesn't doesn't progress the way we're expecting them to progress, if anybody doesn't you know, starts regressing because of age or just because of they're just regressing, then you're probably not look. you, maybe it's 25 to 30 wins. Uh, I think 35 is probably the very, very high end of the amount of games that this team would win. I think the biggest weaknesses, uh, obviously depth at the win. We already talked about that. I also think there's just not enough shot creators. When you look at NBA games now, for those who watch the NBA, most teams have guys who can just go get a bucket. Jalen Suggs is the best player on this roster at currently doing that, and he didn't display that much when he was playing in the NBA last year. It doesn't mean he can't do it. It just wasn't something we saw from him all that much. It's not really a strength of Andrew Nembhardt. It's not a strength of Corey Kispert. It's not really a strength of Ruiz, although he's kind of capable of doing it. It's not a strength of Joel's. One of the hallmarks of Gonzaga's offense is having guys who don't need the ball in their hands to score. That's great, and it's a valuable skill to take with you to the next level in the NBA. But when you have a whole team full of guys like that, it doesn't work as well. You have a lot of guys who, who are in catch-and-shoot positions, who are ready to just, you know, to, to get a shot off quickly. They don't need to be dribbling and taking the ball like that. But at the end of the day, when you just need somebody to just go downhill and score, you got to have that guy on the roster. And again, unless Suggs takes a significant leap at that specific skill— this team would be lacking in that area somewhat significantly. Now, this team is 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 stat, is not static. They're going to change. The, the, this dinner that they have every single year, it's going to be different. It's going to be a different group of people every single year. Now, the wing depth is the biggest weakness for this roster right now. If we were to do this exercise one year from now, there's a pretty good chance Julian Strother's at that table. And there's a very, very good chance that Julian Strother's at that table. That changes things quite a bit. 
he's a potential first round pick. He's a six foot seven wing and he's not like a, he's going to play some small ball four next year, maybe a lot of small ball four next year. But I think Strother is, is capable of playing three at the NBA level. And if you were to add him to this roster, if you didn't do anything else, you just added Julian Strother, removed either Rem or Jeremy Jones, that changes things fairly significantly. Not just because he's a better basketball player than those two guys, but because he he fills a need that this team doesn't have. Yeah, he's he still hasn't showed a lot of that downhill creation, the shot creation. And that's something he probably needs to work on in order to boost that draft stock heading into next year. But assuming he does that, he would be a really big addition to this team. Of course, there's other guys who could be on this team as well. We could be talking about Malachi Smith. We could be talking about Hunter Salas. Hunter Salas would be a great addition. This team needs some defensive intensity, uh, and they need some high-level athleticism, and they need guys who can play on the wing. Hunter Salas is all three of those things. He would be a great addition. Malachi Smith, more of a traditional point guard, but he would be a nice addition as well. Uh, Nolan Hickman, depending what happens with him, obviously uh, a very talented guard as well. Doesn't fill a need as much because of Suggs and Nemhard, but would still be very fantastic. Of course, there's Drew Timmy, who's very likely going to be at this dinner next year. He's a bit superfluous, excuse me, because of the amount of front court depth that this team would already have, which is wild that one of the greatest college basketball players of all time being added to a roster of players from his college probably doesn't move the needle very much on how good that team is. That's a that's a pretty wild statement when you think about it. Uh, but it's just kind of the, the, the nature of how Gonzaga has been developing and churning out talent uh, for the last decade plus or so. All right, that is going to do it for me today. I had fun with this. I hope that you guys had fun with it too. Kind of a silly little exercise, but again, we're in mid-July, so why not have some fun with some of these kind of hypotheticals? We're going to have more talk coming later this week. We're going to talk back about conference realignment. We're going to chat about the Pac-12, chat about the Big East. Uh, And of course, there's plenty more content for you all to read at scorezagscore.com, new website I created dedicated to all things Gonzaga Athletics. Check that site out now. If you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe uh, at the bottom of the site. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist just yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.